In this very short book, 1 John, we have come across really this truth numerous times. That the one who loves God must, must love others. And we might come to the end of John here, we might say, why is it that he has mentioned it so many times? Glenn Vanderplog and I were talking about this this week. So many times, right? Half the book, it just seems to be stating the same thing over and over and over again. And I'm here to tell you what advertisers say about this. Advertisers say that the average person needs to hear something seven times before they remember it. Seven times, that's a lot. Now that helps us in our marriages, of course, right? Spouses. That helps us in our families with our children. And maybe it's not seven times, maybe it's like 700 million times. Uh, helps us in our, our workplaces, right, as we communicate with others. But really the reason why John over and over and over again tells us that the one who loves God must love others is because love is a necessary part of the Christian faith. It's a necessary part. Right? Christian faith isn't just faith, but it's faith shown in action. And if God is our God, the loving God, the one who sacrificed his only son to rescue us unto himself, then the faith would be absolutely meaningless if we didn't show that love to others. So today we're not looking at any groundbreaking material here, but for probably, honestly, I think it might be the seventh time, I'm not sure. We're going to be looking at the truth one more time that those who love God must love others. And probably by now, we've come to realize that this is not an easy task. But by the end of the passage, we will have this great confidence shown in the victory of Christ as well. So, big idea for today, if you're taking notes, is that we love others best by loving God most. We love others best by loving God most. Look with me in verse 1 here. It says, Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born in him. Again, we're not breaking any new ground here. John, once again, getting us up to speed on the conversation of love is going to tell us a basic fact of Christianity. And that is that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Let's just take a moment here to praise God for this statement. Take a moment here to praise God for the statement. I just want to break this down real quick for us. Everyone who believes, just in case we got it uh, um, twisted, we got it backwards, right? It's not the love. Chapter 4 was all about this must, this necessity of love. I would hate for any of us to leave this room, leave the sanctuary, and think to ourselves, my key to salvation is my effort of love. John just takes one step back, right? Mid-argument between four and five, and he says it's not our effort of love that makes us a son or a daughter of Christ. It is faith. And it's faith that Jesus is Christ. Christ here being the Messiah, the one promised from the Old Testament, our long-awaited Savior. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus acknowledging that he alone is the Savior. He is the one who can take away our sin to save us from wrath and make us pure, has been born of God. Again, born of God. It's not us doing this. It is God bringing us into this new life. Being born of God is kind of weird for us to think about in our day and age. We really don't use this kind of lingo anymore. But really, this is God's effort. Right? This is God's work in regenerating us, bringing us out of that previous dead life into a new, vibrant, faithful life in Him. You can kind of think about it as a kingdom switch, out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. 
That's what God does for us. Another great encouragement here is it's everyone who believes, right? It's everyone who believes. It's not just those who love and believe. It's not just those who are close to God, who have a pure-looking life. It is everyone. One of the most amazing things about this gift that God gives us to bring us into life, it's it's open for each and every one of us. This just brings us right to the heart of the gospel. God loves each and every one of us. He loves us so much that he's willing to put his son on the cross to die for us, for each and every one of us, not even just in this room, but everywhere. And we'll get into it real quick here this morning. If you consider yourself a Christian, we need to be showing others this love. But if you find yourself far off from God, know that this gift of Jesus Christ that makes us born of God through faith is open for you. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ. This also doesn't leave anybody out either, right? This gets to one of the basic facts here. If God's love is that powerful for us, is that effective for us, then we see here in the second part of the verse, everyone who loves the Father, so that, that means that our response to that faith, or I should say to God, our faith, that response, must show itself in love for the Father. If he is the author and perfecter of our new life, then the proper response to that is a loving faith, willing to put aside the things that we want, willing to put aside the selfishness in our hearts to love God most. And then we get into the tried and true here, right? Everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. This faith not only results in a, in a love for God, and those two are really, they cannot be separated. We only put faith in the things that we love, but also that love in God shows itself in love for others, right? Faith is evidenced in our love. Once again, we're not breaking any new territory here. John has been talking about this pretty much his entire book, right? Those who love the Father also love others, But for the first time here, we see a little nuance. And everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of him. And today we get to zero in a little bit on what this love looks like. It's really going to bring us to the main consideration of our time today. But if we as a church, if those called to faith by God himself are called to love others, then really the church needs to be the focal point. The church needs to be the shining example of that love for others. If faith is evidence in our love for others, then it must be the focus of our time together. Right? It must be the focus of our time together. Those who love the Father also love those that love Him. Right? Of all those people right, that believe in Him, the church should show that love. It's like a must-must. Those that love the Father must love others. Those that love the Father must, must love those in a church. He doubles down on the obligation here. The place where love ought to flourish, right, it must be most evident, is the church body. Right? It's us gathered together. God chose to reveal his love to a broken world through Christ. The ongoing witness of that love to a broken world ought to be found in the church. I think that's both interior and exterior. I think those looking in at the church body should be amazed at the love that we share for one another, right? The same sacrifice that God showed for us, we are willing to show our church body, those gathered around here. But I also think that this is a great way for us to think about how it is that we reflect God's qualities to one another, 
Right? The love of God isn't just for those who are far off from God, but the love of God is for those who are near to God. Right? Just because we've been saved by faith through God's love for us does not mean that we don't need the constant reminder of God's love for us now. The brokenness of the world around us is easy to identify, but in a church body, right, we need brothers and sisters pointing out the brokenness that lingers in our hearts. And a church body that shows God's love, that reflects his eternal qualities, namely love, does this, reminds each other of what God has done for us, reminds us that we've been called pure by his sacrifice on the cross. Again, this brings us to our main consideration. We're really just going to hone in here on our church body this morning. Is our church body, Green Pond Bible Chapel, marked by a godly love for Green Pond Bible Chapel? Right? Is Green Pond Bible Chapel marked by a godly love for Green Pond Bible Chapel? Now, John gets into it here in verse 2 in a second, but we've got to ask this question, what does this familial love look like? Right? What, what does church love look like? In verse 2, he answers this, and kind of answers it in a weird way. This is how we know that we love God's children. This is how we know. Colon. When we love God and obey his commands. So what does it look like to love those around you inside the church, those who have been called by faith to this love of the Father? Well, it is to love the Father, to obey his commands. We get this in verse 3. He even narrows down even more. Not only is it when we love God and obey his commands, but we know that to love God is also to keep his commands. So we look around and we know that we love other believers when we love God. And we know that we love God when we obey his commands. Again, this is not groundbreaking for us going through 1 John. But love for God's family starts with a love for the Father. We start to get into this familial language here, right? His children, the Father. So love for God's family, the church, starts with the Father of that family, right? The one who has united us together in his Son is the one that we ascribe our praise to. It's the one that we seek to obey the most. Love for God's family starts with love for the Father, and we show our love for the Father by obeying his commands. Now, obeying God's commands is our number one. It's the chief way. It's the main way that we show our love for others. We immediately think to Matthew 22, where Jesus lays out the two greatest commandments, love God and love others, right? So obedience to the Father then, right? we just got to think about this linearly, right? Obedience to the Father results in love for others. Obedience to the Father results in love for others. But on the other side of the coin, this is the amazing thing, right? Obedience to the Father results from love to the Father. And if we put those two ideas together, that means that the more we love God, the more we love others. The more that we show our love for God, the more that we obey his commands, the more that will prime our hearts to love others. Again, it brings us to our big idea. We love those around us by loving God most. The source of our love for those around us really does stem from our love for God. Consider what it looks like and what it means to look at the people around you in this room and think to yourself, I'm going to love you best by obeying God above all. I am going to love you by obeying God. That's what our church body is called to. Called to love each and every one of us Right? Each one of us to love each other, and specifically by doing that by loving God and obeying his commands. Kind of sounds a little backwards, right? We tend to think that 
Loving others means spending time with them and sharing lives with them and stuff like that. But really the foundation of that is loving God. Doesn't sound backwards in the Ten Commandments, though. If love love for God is love for others, then listen to the Ten Commandments. Actually, I have to write them down because Sunday school is so long ago. But relationship between Israelite and God, the first four commandments, right? What does it look like to live under God's rule? Right? I have no other gods before me. Don't make any idols. Don't take God's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy, right? That's relationship between Israel and God. Now the next six, five through ten, right? Relationship between Israelites. Right? This is how their relationship is supposed to go under God's authority. Honor your father and mother. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not lie. Do not covet. In both ways, both areas are covered. Love for God, one through four. Love for others, five through six. But God's commands have loved for others baked into it. God's law throughout the Bible has love for others in it. But the very foundation of that love for others starts with a love for God. The only way that we can build up our love for others is to build up our love for God, to obey his commands. Again, often we think that loving others is built up on time spent together, getting to know other people, meals, of course, food's involved, right? Shared time, activities, shared activities, commonalities, maybe similar aged kids, whatever it might be. But foundationally speaking, our love for others is built up in our love for for God, right? One commentator put it this way. I found it very helpful. We know that we love the brethren when God is the end of our affection and his commands are the guide of our action. So we know that we love the brethren when God is the end of our affection and his commands are the guide for our action. I think it's very applicable for us today. When we love God, it means that our hearts are centered on the one thing that they were built for, right? Worshiping, giving our all to God. And it also means that we will obey God's laws, which again, help us, direct us, point us in the right direction for what our relationship with others look like. So again, we love others best when we love God most. In our hearts, this raises two big questions for us, I think. Does your affection for God increase your love for others? As intertwined as John is making these two things, there still can be a dissection in our hearts. Our love can increase for God, but yet we still might choose not to show it. The question for us this morning, especially as a church body gathered together, is does our affection for God increase our love for others? I think one of the the biggest ways this can happen is just simply having compassion. Jesus showed great compassion for us when he came to earth and died on the cross for us to rescue us from sin and death unto himself. And we are called to have that same compassion for those around us, those that are needing, those that are hurt, those that are suffering in sin, right? Even if they don't have that on their face every Sunday morning, right? We know that sin is still real in our church body. The destruction that Satan causes us by blinding us to God's glory is a real thing. And so as a church body, we need to be thinking proactively about this. We need to be thinking, how can I, end, how can I come to Sunday morning with a compassionate heart? How can I show up on a Wednesday night with a compassionate heart? How can I utilize technology and devices and even just free time throughout the week with a compassionate heart geared towards the love for others? Does your affection for God increase your love for others? 
But we also have to look at it this way. Is your love for others increasing? And if not, right, if you would answer that honestly and say, if not, then the question then comes, is your love for God increasing? These things are intertwined. And probably the best way to understand if our love for God is increasing is by looking at our relationships with others around us, especially in the church. Is your love for God increasing? You can see that in the way that you act around others. What are your goals coming here and building relationship with others? What do you hope to get out of the conversations on a Sunday morning? I try to escape as fast as possible. I know during football season, those football games, just they, they come on so early in the day. How dare they? Right? Nonetheless, right? What, are we, what are our goals? If this is so closely linked, love for others and a love for God, we must strive, not just, not just strive to love others, but really strive to build our love for God. And then when it comes through one way, and that's the knowledge of God himself, our, our great and generous Savior, our compassionate Savior. I have a few things written down here about how we can grow our love for God. And again, we're not in groundbreaking territory here, but this is the reminder that we have. Read your Bible. Study it, right? Put yourself into your Bible. Pray through it. And as you're reading it, pray for an increase in your love for God. He is the one who grants that to us through the Holy Spirit. We should be praying for that increase. Pray for increase not only for the love of God, but that that should be worked out in our lives. Pray for love for others. I think another thing we can do here is to seek out discipleship. Right? Have somebody older, wiser, more gray hair. Right? Lead us in what it looks like to love God and love others. I think finally, just simply, is rejoice in the atonement. Again, that love that God has shown for us through the death of his son, reuniting us with him and building us into this church together that we share. We need to rejoice in that. Give thanks for that. Praise God that he has done that great work for us. We need to think hard about this. That our love for others around us grows with our love for God. Now, this love for God and for others, it comes through obedience. If you have kids, you know that obedience is super easy. I mean, mega easy. If you've been around other people, you know obedience and abiding the law, super easy, right? Like speeding, super, super easy, right? Right. But we know that it's not easy. And so the next statement, the end of verse 3 here, ought to just, it just should pique our ears at what he says. At the end of verse 3, well, I'll just read verse 3 again. For this is what the love for God is, to keep his commands. We would all agree with that, of course. And his commands are not a burden. His commands are not a burden. And this word here, burden, means great weight. It's like a grievous load, something that's breaking the back of the person who bears it. Right? And so Jesus is saying here, this command to love God and to love others, this command to obey God is easy, in a sense. It's light. Right? The burden is light. God commands us to love and obey him, and he tells us, he reassures us that this command is not a burden. Why is that? Verse 4, because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. Everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. Rewind back to verse 1 here. Everyone who believes Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. And now we see everyone who has believed in Jesus has been brought into the family of God stands above the world victorious. What's the mark of that? 
Continuing in verse 4, this is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. The world here means any opposition to what we've already been looking at here. So any opposition to the love of God, any opposition to loving God, any op- opposition to obeying God's commands, is a very general term. John is saying that is the complete opposition of what God has called us to. So what does the opposition of this look like? What does the opposition to God's love and commands look like? Well, it's faithfulness. That's our banner, right? And I just love the way that John puts this. If our banner, obeying God and loving him and loving others, stems out of our faith, and we look at the church around us and say, it's not my faith that will get this done, it's our faith, right? We all hold this banner high. We all exercise faith together. We all build each other up towards loving God, obeying his commands, and we do that through loving one another. In a church, if there is genuine faith, then there's genuine love, there's genuine obedience. Question arises then, who is the one who gets to hold this banner? What what church, what body of believers gets to do this? And the verse 5 answers this. This is where we sneak ahead a little bit. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. We all have a stake in this. Those of us who have repented of our sin and believed in Jesus, not only as the Messiah we see in verse 1, the Christ, our Savior, but also who believes that that is God himself, the Son of God, right? When we hold those two things in our hearts, faith shown in love is produced as a church body. Yes, again, for those outside of the church, those that are distant from God, those who have not repented and believed in God, but most especially for those inside the church, right? Again, those who have been brought into the new life. Jesus proves his victory in a great way. Proves his victory actually in two ways, right? His resurrection, of course, where Satan had thought he had won, right? He cursed him to the grave, and he rose again out of the grave to that new life. The new life that we now have in God has been brought to us by Christ's new life. But also in Jesus bringing the church together. The exercise of unity between believers is the victory that we have. That is the exercise of our faith. So now Jesus' victory is realized in the believer's new life and the way that they choose to obey God and to love others. Jesus' victory is realized in the believer's new life of love and obedience, where we were once opposed to loving God and loving others. Now we have Christ's new life and victory, and we can, and in a sense, as 1 John calls us to, we must Love God and love others. Again, sounds easy or difficult? Just straw poll real quick. Yeah, this is not easy. This is not easy. Yet here, John says this is not a burden. And if our consideration for today is is Green Pond Bible Chapel, loving to Green Pond Bible Chapel, I would have to say this is not an easy thing to build up. And yet, it's an easy thing to build up, right? How is this so? Christ's victory doesn't mean that obeying all of a sudden instantly becomes easy. If you've been a Christian for one day, you know that's not true, right? It's hard, it's difficult to put aside the old self and to pick up the new self and to live in that way. But in Christ's victory, loving God, obeying him, and loving others becomes good, joyful, and beneficial, right? Good, joyful, and beneficial. 
We consider obedience to God burdensome and difficult when we think about how what, or I should say, when we think about what we want and what we desire, right? When our hearts are swirling around, gravitating towards selfishness, God's uh, his laws, his commands become difficult for us, right? But when we're, when we're concentrating on the love that God has shown us, again, we're rejoicing in the atonement, right? We can see the goodness, joyfulness, right? The benefit of obeying God, right? So Christ's victory doesn't make it easy, but it helps us to see that this is good, full of joy, and beneficial. Victory, faithful victory, I should say, looks to Christ for obedience. So we acknowledge that it's difficult, right? We can all say that out loud to ourselves, right? This is difficult, loving God and loving others. Yet, in faithfulness, trust, we decide to obey, right? In the love that God has shown us, we choose to love him by obedience, and we choose to love others around us. The task is a burden, yes, but yet we faithfully, in love, obey God. And we choose to obey. So how is this difficult? How is this difficult? How is it difficult to love others? I think this is something that we think about often. Maybe not uh, really say it out loud, especially to others, that it's difficult to love. But um, we need to think about this. It's difficult to invite people over to our houses. It's difficult to get it clean, or at least presentably clean, right? We clean like one room and just say, don't go past this door. Right, right. It's difficult to invite people into our houses. It's difficult to invite people into our families. Right? Our families are not amazing, right? bright, shining, picture-perfect home and garden families. Right? It's entering that. It's difficult to bring people into our, our brokenness, so to say, our personal brokenness at the home. It's difficult to invite these people over and then give them our food that we want. Right? It's difficult. It's also difficult to put our Sunday plans on hold. Right? It's difficult to put those things on hold and to spend extra time talking to people on Sunday when we know that we need to get to the next thing, right? Especially here in New Jersey when it's just go, 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 go. Right? It always amazes me. How are you doing? Right? The first thing out of my mouth, the first thing I hear often is I'm busy. Right? I'm busy. It's difficult to put our plans on hold in order to show a new person right, at church Something that we're just meeting for the first time. I think it's always a great testament when I go up to somebody, hey, I see you're a new attender. They're like, I've been here for five years. I'm like, great. That's awesome. In the grand scheme of things, that is a very short time. So I'm still right, right? Stuff like that. I, it's just, it's difficult. It's difficult. It's difficult to spend time with somebody who's just dramatically different than you. you know, on one hand, we can praise God that he's brought together so many different people into one church body. He's purchased them out of sin by the redemption of his son's blood. And yet it's still difficult to spend people that are dramatically different than you. It's difficult to meet the needs of others when really deep down inside it's you that want your needs met. It's difficult to serve others when you are the one who wants to be served. It's difficult to put that selfishness aside. It's difficult to ask someone to forgive you for a past wrong that you just rather forget. Right? Whether we're looking at silly things like getting people into our house and cleaning, or whether we're looking at things like deep wounds from years ago, right? it's just difficult to love one another. But the other side of the coin is real as well. It's not only difficult to love people, it's difficult to receive love from people. And again, we're looking at New Jersey here, the tough state, right? We all want to be shown as, I guess in a sense, invincible or whatever word you want to use. 
It's not only just a burden to love people, it's a burden to receive love from people. But if we're a church, right, brought together by God's love, we need not just exercise love for others, but when people exercise love towards us, we need to be receptive of that. It's difficult to trust someone's offer of hospitality and friendship is genuine, right? This world is full of deceit, and that's Satan's main game plan is deceit. I think that kind of bleeds into our reception of other people's love for us. It's difficult to trust someone's offer of hospitality and friendship. It's hard to just say immediately, right? Right off the bat, trust that they're being genuine. Oftentimes we think they have to prove it, right? They have to prove it. The most genuine love needs to be seen and received is in the church body. It's also difficult to enter into a new environment, right? For the new people who have been here for five years, right? It's difficult to enter into a new environment and not want to hide, right? Not want to just be in the back. But also, it's difficult to enter into a new environment and not want to be the center of attention as well. It's difficult to receive the proper amount of love and to put our selfishness aside and say, okay, I will venture out to meet new people at this new church, and I'm also going to love others by not making it all about me. It's difficult to receive love from those that you wish would, or not receive love from those that you wish would reach out to you, right? It's difficult. It's difficult. When you look at somebody, you're like, I really want to be friends with them because they have PlayStation 5, right, or whatever, and it's just not happening. It's just not happening. It's difficult to put aside your pride and humility and ask for help, right? One of the best ways that we show our love for each other is serving each other, and yet there are so many needs in the church body that just go unannounced. There's so many needs in the church body that just go uh, without any recognition whatsoever, right? We have a senior high youth group that has a lot of boys in it that would absolutely love to help anybody move, even if it's just like a kitchen from one side of the house to the other. We can pick that up and we can move it, right? It's, but and all kidding aside, it's difficult to put aside pride and humbly ask for help of the church body around you that's called to help you, even your physical needs, right? It's difficult to forgive someone who has wronged you that you swore you would never forgive, Right? I swore that was the last time I'm ever going to talk to that person, the last time I'm ever going to trust that person. It's difficult to forgive them one more time. Maybe you can agree by now that loving and receiving love is extremely difficult. And yet, by God's grace, and this is where we start our celebration, we don't live in this new life of defeat. We live in this new life of victory. Christ's resurrection proves this for us, and he proves that our family, our church family, God's family as the Father of our church lives in this victory. Right? We're, not, we're no longer opposed to the command to give love and to receive love. Instead, we walk in faith and obey those commands to give and to receive love. Considering Christ's love for us, proven in his resurrection, we can say to others around us, this task of loving you is difficult. Probably don't say that. But nonetheless, we say this is difficult, and yet in Christ's victory, I am choosing. I am choosing. And I think the, the burdenlessness, the unburdening of this is just done as we do it. It might be difficult the first time to step out in faith this way. When our church, when each one of us and our church begin to walk in that way over and over and over again and participate in each other's lives in love over and over and over again, it becomes easier. It does become lighter. It does become more joyful, right? We get to see the benefit of God's love in us over and over again. It makes it an easier, truly easier decision to make. 
So in faith, we choose to love others as God has loved us. Pursuing God above all, of course, right? Pursuing the obedience of his commands, his glory, and seeing that come about in other people around us. There's no better way to love somebody than to point them towards Christ. And this brings us really to what 1 John's all about. Love is faith in action, right? Love is faith in action. We trust God. We trust his love for us so that we can go out and exercise a love for others. There's no spot that that should be more evident than in our church, in our church, that we sing, right, and we describe and we try to live out our best, God's love for us. And we should be doing that in faith, but also in action. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, we thank you once again for your love for us. Thank you, Lord, that we don't keep your commands uh, on our own power, Lord, that would be a burden. Yeah, Father, we rely on you. We trust in you that your commands are doable through the power of the Holy Spirit. Pray, Father, that we'd be a church that is marked by a love for you. Pray, Father, that we'd be marked by an obedience for you. Father, we'd be marked for a love for each other. Pray, Father, that that would be an effort of faithfulness on our end and an effort of your glory. So, Father, we pray through the power of your Spirit that you would do this in us even today as we stand up and we worship and leave here next. Lord, we pray that we would take the time, humbly take the time to love each other as you have loved us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.